Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 113. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
announcer. Announcer? That's me. Get Headquartered, a timeline of the Monkey Solo Years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. The Warren Kremer book is still being proofed, and I'm still working on my Mad book and the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. I'm also working on a book about Pac-Man. On today's show, we welcome the guitarist who played in the West Coast version of The Turtles and Flo and Eddie. Here he is, Rick Gadot. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and we're here on Fun Ideas Productions, Fun Ideas Podcast, and today we have Rick Squid Guidotti, who was a guitarist for the Turtles and Flo and Eddie for about 30 years, and I have to thank Charles F. Rosene for setting up this interview with me today, and I just wanted to say hi, and how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. And so, I like I said, it, basically, Charles said, you've been with the Turtles for 30 years, and you had a bunch of stories. I have a lot of questions, I suppose. So how did you get involved with them? Obviously, you weren't in the original Turtles in the 60s. So when, when did you encounter Mark and Howard? Uh, it was around 1986. I had a very popular cover band in Los Angeles. And we were doing a British Invasion show. And this is before there was any Beatlemanias or any of these other things. Anyway... Uh, we started in 1981, and we used to dress up like the Beatles with uh, white shirts, uh, skinny pants, beetle boots, and uh, little thin ties. And we would play songs like, not, not the ones you hear all the time, but stuff from their first few albums. And uh, also, the Hollies, the Kinks, the Dave Clark Five, the Animals, all of those, uh, the Rolling Stones, all those big bands from the British Invasion. And uh, we had four good singers, and we could harmonize really well, and we became extremely popular. Uh, people would line up out of the club night after night, all week long. People would cheer when we walked in the room before the band started. In 1982, we were so popular in Long Beach that George Harrison of the Beatles heard about us while he was attending the Grand Prix race in Long Beach, and he came into the club and loved us and stayed all night and shook hands and said to me, you do a good job. And you could have shot me right there because John had been uh, dead for like a, a year or so. Wow. And I just was complimented by a beetle. And anyway, word got around and uh, a guy came into the club and became our friend who knew Flo and Eddie. Uh, he was from another band that had done with work, work with the Beach Boys. And he, uh, he happened to know that the Turtles were coming to uh, Disneyland and they were going to do a show and he thought why should they fly their band from New York to Los Angeles when there's a band here already that knows all the songs and can play them perfectly <laughs> and so he told Flo and Eddie about us uh, they heard, heard us one way or the other I can't even remember how I know they didn't come to the club but, but uh, we played with them at Disneyland. They really liked us. And we became the West Coast backup band for the Turtles. Hmm. And then, uh, uh, so at that point in time, 
they had a New York band and a West Coast band. <laughs> so we do all the shows on this side of the Rockies and uh, and that continued for quite a while. Uh, although there was some alcohol problems with some of the members <laughs> and we had to lose a few uh, extra guitar players that we didn't need. But uh, in the end, I was the one that stayed with them for 30 years because I behaved myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you play with Andy Kahn? We interviewed him pretty recently. Oh, so. oh good, because I was going to recommend you call him if you hadn't. Yeah, Andy and I are best buddies, and okay. we would we would travel together all the time. In fact, at any of the shows we had here in California, it turned out it was way more fun to rent a car and drive to Frisco or to Vegas than to deal with all the security and the parking at the airports <laughs> and all that. So Andy and I had quite a few adventures together. Well, well I've heard even from like Howard's autobiography, Howard Kalin, uh, that in the latter years of the original Turtles, they preferred being on buses than airplanes and everything else after a time because it was just more fun and they could, you know, do whatever they wanted, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, now, Andy participated in a lot of their recordings as well, like even some of the children's albums like Strawberry Shortcake and stuff like that. Did you participate in any of those projects as well, or you just only went on tour? No, I was just a just, uh, backup uh, guitar player. I didn't do any recordings with him at all. Oh, okay. Because I was kind of wondering about that because I, I got Andy's book and he's talking about how he produced this and he played keyboards and that. And so I thought maybe you got a guitar lick in there somewhere. <laughs> now, when it's East Coast and West Coast, do uh, does it ever overlap? Like, did like if you say, hey, uh, Mark and Howard, can I come with you to the bottom line in New York when you do one of your Halloween shows or New Year's shows or whatever? Uh, Absolutely. Or is it just like, no. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. Although we were on, on good terms and on occasion, let's say if, if our bass player couldn't make it, they would fly the uh, New York bass player out. And okay. a few times they flew the uh, drummer out to work with us. But uh, that was about it. Oh, okay. And because everybody, including yourself, said uh, you kind of know all the songs backwards and forwards, as it were, uh, did it take a lot of time to rehearse or did you just kind of just do it? Or, or do you have a set set of like 10 songs or whatever and you just always did those 10 songs? Uh, any rehearsing we did was usually at the sound check right before the show. Okay. These are all seasoned musicians and if you say Born to be Wild, they know how to play it. Yeah, that's in what fact, I kind of figured. <laughs> yeah, in fact, uh, in the early days they used to use me to uh, you know, pad up the hour because they didn't have quite enough hit songs to uh, take up the full show. And although uh, Mark would often talk and tell the history of the show and make a lot of jokes, but they would uh, they would say our guitar player is the human jukebox, and they would let people call out oldies from the audience and try to stump me. Oh and wow! So they would yell out things and. <laughs> Don't worry, my girlfriend will get that. And okay. anyway, uh, you know, they Inagata Devita, boom, I'd go into the lick, mm -hmm. um, blah, blah, blah. And some of the songs uh, became part of the act. For mm -hmm. example, Andy probably told you he did work with the monkeys, and I taught the band how to play Daydream Believer, and boom, that was one of the, uh, the hits it, that they would do just for fun. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. in the middle of the show, 
They'd say, you guys like oldies? How about this one? Our keyboard player played with this band. We do Daydream Believer. Our, uh, our drummer washed uh, Santana's car. We do, we do the end of, uh, of uh, Black Magic Woman. Stuff like, or our, our right. bass player can sing like Robert Plant. And we do a whole lot of love. And uh, <laughs> just add a lot of fun into the show. Yeah, I bet. Um, was it pretty much on those type of things? Was that kind of totally ad-lib then? Uh, or did, was it pre-scripted at all? Uh, it was pretty much up to Mark. Uh, okay. Whatever he felt like he'd yell out, we'd do it. And if it worked really well, it would become part of the show. Ah, okay. So a little both. <laughs> and um, West Coast, uh, did you literally tour everywhere on the West Coast, west of, say, the Mississippi, I guess, is where the cutoff was, probably? Yeah, more or less. And uh, 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 it's, when it started off, they were doing like 60 shows a year. And roughly 30 for, for New York and 30 for the uh, West Coast. And the things changed and evolved over the years. And uh, in fact, that's what happened uh, in uh, around uh, 2015, I guess. They, they were tired of doing this one at a seat. We would never go on the road with them. What we <laughs> would do is fly to Phoenix, play a concert, fly back to LA. And then in a few weeks, fly to Seattle, do a concert, fly back. They were all one-nighters. Oh, okay. And uh, eventually they decided they did want to go back on the road. And sadly, that was the end of them using either of the bands from mm -hmm. either coast. Because if they're traveling with Vicky Dolenz or the Grassroots, and, and all these guys know how to play happy together. Right. And so they save a lot of money by just mm -hmm. using whatever band was in the bus with them at the time. Right. So I guess what you were were officially a Turtles featuring Flo and Eddie band versus like the Happy Together tour. You weren't on that. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Okay. I got it. Okay. So I probably saw you and didn't know it <laughs> because uh, I know I saw the Turtles a couple times at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk and they did free summer concerts probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. So, yeah, yeah. that was yeah, so That'd you're probably easy. there. <laughs> um, is there any, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, any particular venues or any particular concerts that you found particularly memorable or anything that stands out over the years as just either a great concert or just a funny thing that happened on the road? Boy, I, I wish I was good at those kind of stories, but I'm not. <laughs> it, it, after 30 years... It's all kind of a 200 motel LSD trip of, of blurry, <laughs> blurry memories, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know I really had a, a lot of fun. We played Hawaii. Uh, mm -hmm. I, one of the smaller islands I uh, was at Maui. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't, I can't even remember. But, uh, but we got to spend the day driving around and, and seeing the sights and going into a lava tube and, and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, stuff like that, I really, really... Here's one. Here's one that uh, I'll never forget. Uh, right after 9/11, things changed. Of course, the airport security got really tough. And uh, a few weeks after that horrible uh, experience, we had a show in Texas, mm. and I talked them into letting me open the show with the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, <laughs> and I, I did a sort of sort of Jimi Hendrix like. Cool. <laughs> left out the bombs and machine guns and things 
just played it more or less straight and loud, but to have thousands of, of Texans in front of me taking their hats off and standing at attention, you know, that was that was heartwarming. That was pretty cool. Okay. So there's a few memories here and there. Um, one thing I was curious about, it, you know, you said uh, that you kind of all flew in separately for a gig. So did other than performing did you spend much time together or how did how did that work i mean like say you did the concert a, a, a tick uh, just a random concert and you said okay we're going to such and such place what would be like your schedule for you <laughs> the schedule and this never varied after the show uh Splash some water on your face, grab a little snack if you can, go to Howard's room and puff till three in the morning. It was great. <laughs> it, yeah. And and I mean all those stories that you might have read in Andy's book, or I don't know if you saw the movie My Dinner with uh Jimmy. Yeah. Did Andy, did. Andy yeah. tell you about that? Yeah. Anyway, all those stories I heard straight from Howard's stoned mouth sitting up with him until three in the morning and just letting him talk and talk and talk and talk. And uh, it was actually uh, Andy and I's suggestion that he put those stories into the book, which he did. Mm -hmm. And then, then the night he told us the story about going out with Jimi Hendrix and getting so blitzed that he threw up <laughs> Well, the man that should be made into a movie. And it was right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of good times with Howard. Now, Mark rarely participated in any of that. He would hmm. go to his room, call his wife, and go to bed. He was wow. very, very business-oriented. In fact, uh, when we first met him, he was taking pride in the fact that he didn't do drugs anymore and blah, blah, blah. But over the years, there were some occasions where he broke <laughs> that rule. And he was a lot more fun when he was hot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, and you probably went through it, th that he went back to school for a few years. Were you touring with him during those times or um, he went back uh, yeah. to college? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He became a professor at uh, the Marymount College here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And then, then of course, he moved to uh, uh, Tennessee and worked at right. the school there as well. So he was, he was doing both at the same time. And like I say, we weren't really touring. We would just go out on the weekend. We'd mm -hmm. be back by Sunday. And he could go to school for the Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And um, so after it was over, after, you, you know, I, I assume you got a little time to sleep afterwards. Um, but then you just had to uh, fly out and fly back home. So it was just like zipping around really quickly like that. Exactly. Okay. So what did you do between gigs? Did you have other gigs? Did you do more uh, Beatlemania type things or other uh, performing? Yeah, that, you know, that had its ups and its downs uh back in the 80s like i said all, and into the 90s my cover band was extremely popular in fact there there was one point where we would work six shows at disneyland in the hot sun mm -hmm. and then go play a bar from nine until 1 30 in the morning and i'm telling you i was i got very sick in fact i was so burned out but uh we didn't have Working with the Turtles was never that grueling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, here at home, yeah, I kept the band working. Up until somewhere in the 2000s, I started losing my voice. Mm -hmm. uh, the band finally fell apart. Uh, you know, we changed some members, and we went from being the most popular band 
to uh, working these hotels when there was nobody in there and it was no longer fun anymore. And I did a variety of silly jobs. Like I worked as a background extra in movies. <laughs> and one of my friends got me a job uh, driving on a feature film. And I was actually Halle Berry's driver before she was famous in one of her first movies. And wow. she liked me. Oh, and, <laughs> cool. And like a fool, I was very businesslike and behaved myself and never flirted. And <laughs> I blew it. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, yeah, I did some things, and then, then when things got really slow, I uh, ended up with a delivery job with a big printing company, and that was hell on earth. I was in traffic all day, lifting <laughs> heavy, heavy boxes of papers and magazines by the dozens, by the hundreds. One time I did the math, and when I arrived at work, bending over, picking up four tons of paper and restacking it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. That company <laughs> It finally went out of business. It was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> I've done some heavy lifting jobs before. I used to work at the bookstore and they'd say, lift that box over there. And I, I, you know, I had previously had a customer service job and I came back to the bookstore. Well, all we have is stock clerk. And I said, I'll take it because I needed some work. I quit after four days because I didn't want to do so much heavy lifting and found something else. I was like, ah. yeah, yeah. Well, when I started that delivery job after after the first week, I wanted to quit, and like an idiot, I stayed with them for eight years, wow. <laughs> and and I made myself indispensable. And as the company went out of business, they laid off people. They went from thirty to twenty to ten. At the end, it was like me. Hello, yeah, she's and they still said, there. <laughs> hey, we've got two thousand books we have to put together, and oh. they were due yesterday. And I said, "Yeah, we'll find somebody else." Goodbye. Mm-hmm. I am just done with this. Now, during those years, were you doing any touring or any concerts? Like no, in- during during those those years, I could say the Turtles uh, gigs slowed down to only a few per year, and I did have another band here in Los Angeles. Uh, once again, it was an oldies band, but it was a, a surf instrumental band. So we were still playing Beatles, uh, Moody Blues, uh, stuff from movies, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, Goldfinger, James oh. Bond, all as instrumentals because in the 90s, I lost my voice mm. and I could no longer sing. And so I had the surf band, but they weren't working a lot, only yeah. a few times a year. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you mentioned it, but maybe you did. The earlier cover band that got really popular, what was its name, just out of curiosity? The name of that band was Rave Up. Oh, okay. I actually yeah. heard of that. Okay. It's just kind of curious. Well, it was, uh, a, you know, it was a British slang term for a wild party, and the yeah. Yardbirds had an uh, album called Having a Rave Up right. with the Yardbirds. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, then there was another band that came <laughs> after us called The Rave Ups, and they did <laughs> They did have a hit single out, and uh, well, we never got that far. In mm. fact, the problem the problem was we were so popular, and every bar we played at would offer us a free dinner before the show, and then free drinks all night. And a couple of the guys in the band became really bad alcoholics, mm. and it really <laughs> ru- it ruined a good thing because we were so popular all over town. We were playing the biggest nightclubs and the Ritz Carlton hotels, and they were flying us. To Florida to work at Disney World and we worked the opening of the Universal Studios in mm. Florida and we had all the best gigs but then we had a couple of guys who were drunk all the time and mm. directed for everybody. Uh, too bad but Lisa it was fun. how long did that band last basically? Well you know my memory is fuzzy the death was of a slow curve 
but uh, we were extremely popular in the 80s. Okay. Very popular in the 90s, toward the end of the 90s and the early 2000s, that's when things oh, no. really started. <laughs> uh, mother, mothers Against the Drug Driving actually took quite a toll because before that, uh, a lot of clubs had happy hours and we'd go in and play early and then stay for the whole evening, but uh, that came to an end. Mm-hmm. Now, apart from the Turtles, did you cross paths with any other groups that you played might have played in over the years, or did you just stick strictly with Mark and Howard? Um, yeah, I didn't work with any other big name. I worked mm-hmm. alongside of them. Oh, okay. So, so with the Turtles, I got to be real good friends with uh, Peter Noon, because cool, we yeah. did a lot of shows with the mm-hmm. Hermits Hermits. Right. We did a lot of shows with Paul Revere and the Raiders. And we did a lot of shows with the grassroots, you know. So I got to know them as buddies, but right. I never really. Uh, only one time I uh, got to go on stage with the Beach Boys, uh-huh. and it's a it's a funny story because I, I I knew a couple of the guys in the band; they were good friends of mine. And uh, the guitar player invited me up, and he said, "My amp will only play one guitar at a time, so I'll kick your guitar in at the end of the song." I said, "Okay, I'm playing Barbaran." Fine, I played Barbara M a billion times. And at the end of the song, he kicked me in and I started playing and every note I hit was horrible and sour and wrong. And it's like, what happened? Aren't you in the key of G? No, they played it in in G flat and I wasn't aware. (laughs) So it was the worst solo I ever played with the beat. Oh, wow. Now, how does that work? I, I mean, I, I've I played piano before, but I don't know much about being in a band. I mean, do they tell you ahead of time what keys are thing in, well, or do you just have to kind of know? <laughs> they should have, yeah. <laughs> okay. Or, or I should have paid attention, but I wasn't. I'm like, I'm looking at the crowd. I'm like, I'm on stage with the Beach Boys. I never once looked at the guitar player's hand, <laughs> which would have been a giveaway. <laughs> And that's another thing, I guess, about the Turtles or just being in any of your bands. You know, I know, like, over time, you know, people's voices change and things like that. Did you have to change keys in songs over the years? As... Not really. Okay. No. okay. Howard has, has a great voice. Mark's right. voice got a little weak later in life, but then uh, we'd have our bass player cover for him, mm-hmm. you know, double his part or whatever it took to make it sound good. Very cool. And... Um, Let's see. I mean, I, when I saw him at the boardwalk, it was pretty much a straightforward show, just music. But I know from various recordings, in fact, I have one here because I know you're not on this, but there's this one called the Turtles featuring Flo and Eddie that came out. And I think at concerts, they sold variations of that one. Um, there's like a few like jokey tracks in the middle. Um did they try to keep those to a minimum? You know, there's this one called the prison song and, you know, Mark kind of goes, Dun, 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 dun. it's like really short and they go that was a song i wrote in prison i was in there a very short time you know things like that did you do like little shtick like that or were you pretty much let's just do the hits no we had we did a lot of stick well it, it was all up to mark whatever right. his mood was in fact there were times when i was standing on stage thinking mark you're talking too much let's play a song you know because you can go on and on and on but most of the time, he was really funny, and the crowd loved what he was up to. And, and yeah, we do a lot of little snippets, like when they'd say, 
they give a little bit of the history and they say, yeah, we did the music for the strawberry shortcakes. And we play a couple bars of the okay, strawberry so shortcakes. And then we also uh, work for the Care Bears. We play the exact same music and we just change the words a, lot, a little bit and uh, lots of humor. But I got to say, I always had a great time and, and I would laugh on stage and it was always genuine. Mark could be really funny when he was on point. Mm -hmm. And what about Howard? Is he just pretty, I know he has a sense of humor, but I mean, did he instigate anything or is he just like, I'm just going to be the singer and I just keep singing or how does he operate? Um, he does in general play the role of the straight man. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like Abbott and Costello, Mark is a clown, Howard is a straight man. Uh, Mark would mess with Howard, Howard would feign annoyance, but it was just part of the show. Mm -hmm. And I know they've been friends since childhood. Uh, did they seem to get along after all the years of everything together, or was it kind of an act? It seemed like they actually loved each other and still do. They did. They did. Okay. Uh, once, once or twice, there might be a little bit of friction there. Uh, somebody wants to do something, and the other guy doesn't want to do it. But in general, they had they had gone way beyond that, holding grudges or disagreements. They realized they had a good thing, and the smart thing was to keep it going. Mm -hmm. Now, on their concerts, I mean, uh, did, hey, how do I phrase this? Were you always just on call, so it was like uh, at the ready, or were there sometimes where you just could not make a gig? It's like I got a wedding to go to, or I got something else to do. I can't do this, or I'm sick, or whatever. <laughs> I never, in 30 years, I never missed a show. Uh, they were never at the last minute. They always called us weeks, if, if not more, in advance, let us know what was going okay. on. And uh, there were only one time I missed a flight. <laughs> and lo and behold, Mark, who was living in Los Angeles at the time, had missed it also. So the both of us, he couldn't get mad at me for doing the same thing he did. So right. we both, we both got on another flight and, and made the gig. One time uh, I was supposed to be in Seattle. Oh, my equipment was supposed to go to Seattle and it went to Hawaii, <laughs> but uh, they somehow got it back in time. And and after that, I, I stopped bringing my own guitar. I just say, just have two strats on stage for me. Okay. I mean, the first, the first time I brought my strat to a gig, the damn airline people smashed the new case that my girlfriend had bought for me to pieces. And I said, I'm, I'm not bringing my guitar anymore. A Strat is a Strat, you know? Right, right. In fact, I, I think, I, I, I don't know if you saw it. You probably did because you're part of the touring group, at least. Uh, I used to see on the Turtles website years ago when you were doing these tours, it was like this agreement that anybody could actually fill out, but you had to fulfill all the obligations. And it had list. it said stuff like that. It's like you have to have certain amount of guitars you have to have a certain amount of water you have to have this type of food you have to have you know this many seats you know all these different qualifications and then the amount i forgot the amount of like five thousand dollars i don't remember it was just some blanket amount if you could do all this we'll fly out anywhere we'll do your birthday we'll do anything you know just as long as you uh did you ever um see those agreements or did you uh add anything to that to to get like the guitar on stage and stuff like that? Yeah, in, in the beginning, uh, we'd have, I think it was called a rider. And uh, yeah. it was just what you were talking about. It was a, a list of the demands. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, the bass player wants 
a big tall amp peg amp and uh, the guitar player watched two Fender twins and mm -hmm. you know, in case one of them crapped out or whatever mm -hmm. and, and two Fender guitars. And so, yeah, all that was written out. And, uh, but later on it, it kind of, a lot of the sound people we'd work with on a regular basis and they kind of knew what we wanted and they That's would cool. have stuff ready for us. Okay. Was there ever a show that you signed up for and then you found out, oh, this isn't worth it and you just walked away and didn't do it or did you fulfill any obligation that you agreed to do? Oh my God, twice, twice. <laughs> they, uh, okay, the first one we were playing at a swimming pool in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. Okay, <laughs> fine and dandy. Somebody, the promoter, I use the term loosely, didn't promote a damn thing. Nobody knew the turtles were playing at this pool or if they did know, they weren't about to drive into the middle of nowhere to go see it. So we arrived there. There was about five overweight ladies floating in inner tubes with their kids. That was the whole crowd. Wow. <laughs> and we stood at the edge of the pool and we did the show just as if it was a big, big real show. And uh, that was it. In fact, and then the other time we set up in this big auditorium and the only person was a little five-year-old kid standing there in the middle of this floor all by himself. We were actually performing for the sound crew and the caterers. Mm -hmm. Nobody came to the show. I don't know why. We still <laughs> played as if it was a room full of people. We still got paid. By the way, Mark and Howard, you know, they were jilted early in their careers. And they that was a set of rules that you didn't break. You gave them the money before they hit the stage. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I read about that in uh, Howard's autobiography because, yeah, they were stiffed a few times. So... Yeah, it's like pay up and then we'll play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so when things are kind of winding down with uh, Mark and Howard, uh, I know you said you did some other gigs and stuff like that, but did it just get to the point where, you know, the heck with it, I'm just not doing it. And you did that other job for a while um, and you don't perform anymore. Or do you still perform occasionally now? I'll still perform if we didn't have this COVID going around. Right. Yeah. Barring that, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still have my band here in Los Angeles, and and we're dying to get the green light to uh, start working again. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I I was never the one to walk away from a situation like that. Although a, a, a couple of the a couple of our drummer did, he uh, eventually he got a fear of flying and mm. didn't want to fly anymore and he quit the band and uh our bass player also got to the point where when we were only working once every couple of months he said this isn't worth it for me and so from that point on they would fly the new york guy out okay now i'm familiar with the new york guys um besides yourself and andy and of course mark and howard who were pretty consistent in the Turtles for the 30 years? I mean, who, who played bass? Well, well, the New York bassist, uh, he had been with them the same amount of time I had. And okay. so he was very consistent and a great player and a great guy to hang around with, too. So he came out to the West Coast shows, too? Or is that what you're saying? He would fly out from New oh, York and do the West so, Coast shows, yeah. Um, let's see if I know his name. I'll look in here. Um, Donnie. Don Kisselbach? Is that it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. His name was Donnie Ice. Okay. 
<laughs> then the, you mentioned drummers. So it's Joe Stefko that came out occasionally. That uh, Joe was a New York drummer, and occasionally right. did a few shows out here. And uh, yeah, our first drummer from my band, Rave Up, was was Bob, and Bob got the plane airplane phobia thing, mm. and then we uh, got another guy named Rick Crucier, and he joined and stayed. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Do you stay in contact with him or anybody else that's in the just, band? Uh, just via Facebook. You okay. Know, on, on birthdays and holidays, we say hi to each other or whatever. Uh, Andy and I, uh, we still uh, stay in touch, and we would party, except he lives in Palm Springs. I'm in L.A. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drive 90 miles to see him. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> but uh, and so in the summertime, he's got a boat in the in the harbor in Oxnard, and sometimes I'll go visit him there. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he didn't talk about anything like that when we were talking. We were too busy talking about touring and recording, so that's pretty much what we said with him. So I didn't know what he did on his uh, yeah, free time. Of, of all the guys, Andy and I used to hang out the most. Now, did you know him prior? Because I know he no. had a career. Oh, okay. No, I met him in the Turtles, yeah. Well, oh. actually, our, our keyboard player got a chance to join the Beach Boys, Mm-hmm. considered that a step up <laughs> and uh so then they hired andy had been fired for a while but they hired him back cool <laughs> all right and um do you even every so often occasionally ever contact mark or howard at this point or is it just like well that was part of my past and <laughs> it's not yeah i don't okay that's fine. however there's one exception <laughs> I got a couple of phone calls a few weeks back, and so, and I don't know who it was. Somebody called and said, Rick, call me. Oh, who the hell is that? So I thought, might be Mark Volman. Yeah. Might be. Maybe yeah. they're going to do a concert. So I called Mark, and lo and behold, he was sick in a hospital, mm-hmm. and he sounded so bad, I could hardly understand what he was saying. Wow. And so I could just kind of left it at that. He's not doing well. And, and I know a few years back, Howard had heart surgery and had back right. surgery and didn't want to perform anymore. Right. And so I haven't spoke to him since. Yeah. Then. Charles and I recently interviewed Ron Dante. So he's basically Howard's replacement. And right, right now they're all on hold, just like yourself. And uh, But uh, Ron says we're hoping to get in maybe in the fall sometime this year. You know, well, but he's I not going to push it. You know, he's not, you know, he yeah. wants everything, you know, but I see that on other things too, you know, like, uh, uh, I think, uh, Charles just booked for the show, Bobby Rydell and he on his website has July shows booked. Now, whether he does them, I don't know, but you know, it's like, it shows like a couple shows in July, a couple in September. So it's like, He's slowly coming back, so I don't know if he really will, but, you know, they're selling tickets for him. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, it all, it all depends on this disease, if the numbers go up or down and how many people get uh, vaccinated. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done with one. I have to do the second one, but I'm getting there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just kind of curious, you know, it, like uh, the one thing I might stick my toe in is, you know, I like comic books and other things, and there's a comic convention up here in September. And I said, well, maybe if we go with masks, I will go just to 
walk around but you know it's like i i don't know if i'm comfortable yet sitting in a stadium with a bunch of people for two hours watching a concert yet i know everybody's gotten so paranoid over this yeah for good reason you know yeah but if i do see the numbers going you know because it seems like right now they're kind of like still you know it's not as low as i want it to be so i'm like i'm taking my time but (laughs) anyway um so assuming that uh COVID's over. Let's say it's over and we're all back to normal and everything like that. Uh, what what are your plans? Are you planning to tour regularly or just do local gigs? What what are your plans? I, I have never been a tour guy. Okay. <laughs> now, now, a couple of times back in the good old days, my band Rave Up, uh, we would play uh, Vancouver, Canada, and be gone for a week or two, or we go to Durango, Colorado, or Vail, Colorado, for a week here and a week there. But we never were a touring band. Hmm. You know, everybody, we were just playing here in town, and that was enough. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, you probably just re- returned to doing local gigs in the Southern California area, basically. Yes, if, if if they pop up, we'll do them. In the meantime, yeah. I've got a little thing on the side where I'm also an astronomer and I have a, oh. large, a large telescope and I live in Hollywood and I get a lot of people going by my building to a restaurant right around the corner and I set the telescope up on the streets and so passes by the moon and the planets and put oh, on cool. a tip buck. They love me. I'm a neighborhood institution. They should, People got the cell phones. Where are you at? I'm by the telescope guy. Oh, I know where that is. <laughs> that's really yeah. cool. You know, to hustle a, a gig like that in different things over your life. You know, that's, I wouldn't even think of that, you know, even though that sounds pretty cool. You know, no, you know it's really stuff. cool because people love it and, and they, they want to hug me. Well, I've got a whole Carl Sagan rap because people, <laughs> people will look at Saturn's rings for the first time in a telescope and they're, oh my God. I feel so small. And then I tell them, don't feel small. You're, you're part of the universe. You have pieces of stars in your body. You are their eyes. You have every right to look up and say, look how big we are. <laughs> do you have an education in that or do you just have an interest? Uh, in? Self-taught. I've been a hobby oh, all okay. my life. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, so you like going to places down there like Griffith Observatory and places I'm like kinda, that? I'm, I'm, I'm only about a mile away and I'm kind of burned out on that place. But you've been there, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but in, back in the good old days, uh, I had a telescope that was this big around. It wow. weighed, about, weighed about 120 pounds. I would put it in the van and when the band would play someplace like Mammoth, California, where you're yeah. up in the mountains at 9,000 feet, and I would bring that big telescope up there, and oh boy, we just get lost in space. Wow. Okay. So you're really into it, even you know, self-taught. That's great. You know, I'm kind of the same way. It's like I've gone to the observatories, and you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm always interested in what like Neil deGrasse Tyson says and stuff like that on shows, and you know, um, that's all pretty cool. You know, so that's neat that you do that. <laughs> anyway. Um, I don't know if I have any more questions. I mean, that's what Charles says. Ask about turtle things because we're working on a turtles project ourselves. If he isn't already, let you know. So, um, any other final thoughts, or if people want to get in contact with you, either for a gig or just talk astronomy or <laughs> talk about anything else, uh, 
I don't know. You know, how these, you know how these things go. Tomorrow I'll, I'll go, oh, I should have said this and this right. and this, right? <laughs> but the, right now I'm blank. That's okay. So um, uh, can you be found on Facebook and uh, oh, yeah. website? Okay. Yeah, although Facebook, it, it's, it's become a bit of a conundrum to me because, okay, my birthday was only a few days ago. Mm-hmm. 90 people wish me happy birthday. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I posted a video of some of my artwork, which I'm proud of, some of my music, which I'm proud of. Not one person has seen the video. I've posted it four times. I've had people message me. I don't see the video. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I see the video. You have the same issues I have because I can post the stu- <laughs> I can post the stupidest thing up there and get like a hundred hits. And then I'll say, um, because I write books about comic books and animation and music, I say, hey, my new book's out. Crickets, crickets, nothing. Yeah, zero. You know, and it's I, like. I don't understand it. <laughs> you know, it's almost like the, they, they um, monitor everything you post and they go, this guy's trying to promote something, trying to make money. We can't allow that. You know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, well, um, you know, I just wanted to get to uh, talk to you today, and I want to thank Charles Rosene for introducing me to you. It was a pleasure talking to you today, Rick. And, oh, I should ask you this before we go. So you have, I know, the nickname Squid. I read that. So uh, obviously it rhymes with Gwid of Gwidati, but uh, how did you Very get the good. name Squid? We'll end that, with that. That's just about it. Back in high school, uh, we'd all make fun of each other's last names. So some people called me Squidati. <laughs> some people shortened it to Gwid. Before <laughs> long, to one and all, I'm known as Squid. Very cool. Okay. And do people like Mark and Howard and everybody else, they refer to you as squid or they just... Not, not so much. Okay. Uh, it was basically kind of a hippie thing in, in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. Everybody, I used to live in Indiana. Everybody called me squid. So when I moved to California in 73, all the new people, I say, just call me squid and I'll feel at home. So all my old friends called me squid, except now... They all passed away. Oh. <laughs> I, have, I have one friend left who calls me squid. Oh. But, uh, it's a throwback. <laughs> change that. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, it was a pleasure speaking with you, squid or Rick. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk soon. And uh, I'll thank Charles Rosene again for introducing me to you. And uh, we'll be uh, on next time with another Fun Ideas podcast. All right, man. Cool. Take care. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Rick Godot, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode 114 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.